Just Did you hear recording. that? Was that a ghost? What the yeah. fuck is going on here? I- well, hello there, my fellow comical heathens. This is your host, the world's most highly educated stand-up comedian, Dr. Jerry Jaffe. And welcome to this podcast where, as part of a book I'm writing about religious satire, I started interviewing people, comedians, writers, scientists, others, and just uh, collecting their thoughts on religion, satire, comedy, and so forth. And those interviews turned into this podcast. So that's how this podcast began. And one of the things that comes up sometimes is I notice things in news or pop culture. And then I build a monologue or an episode around that. Before we get into anything else, let me just say welcome to this episode. This episode features my interview with the research fellow for the Center for Inquiry, Ben Radford, and also special co-host, Aaron Cosbeal. So thank you, Ben and Aaron. We'll get to our conversation in a quick, hot minute. I want to add in, if you listen to any recent episodes of The Comical Heathen, I mean, really, since the coronavirus began, I keep giving announcements of possible upcoming live shows and then giving announcements of shows that have been canceled. So... A lot of people's comedy careers are ping-ponging around depending on what state you're in and what state the coronavirus is in month to month. Recently, November, December, and January, I had three Comical Heathen live shows scheduled, all of which were canceled. Thank you, Omicron. The Toledo show is open to being rescheduled probably in the spring, and I do have some other comedy gigs coming up. I'll watch my Facebook and social media for accurate announcements as opposed to changeable ones as happened on this podcast. Now, hey, with that in mind... I often notice things in uh, newspapers, magazines, online, pop culture, and I'd like to share a list with you. And this is a list, and having someone read a list at you on a podcast or radio show is not the most interesting thing in the world, but uh, I think it's a cute list. So I'll read the list, and you play a game at home. What do all these things have in common? Rattling doorknobs. Shaking window shades. Footsteps upstairs. Blasts of cold water in a shower. A sense of being watched. The surprising reappearance of a lost item. A small blanket being tugged on. Missing fabric. A lamp turned on. Quite a a list there. And if you're thinking to yourself, oh, that sounds like a list of things that happen every day that are otherwise completely meaningless, that could be an answer. However, if you were thinking to yourself, that sounds like a list of things that people experience in their everyday lives and then want to say they've encountered a ghost or ghostly presence of some kind, you would probably also be right. However, it's actually one other thing besides those first two things. It is a list of things you can find in a recent New York Times article called Quarantining with a Ghost. It's scary. Byline Molly Fitzpatrick, first published in May of 2020, updated in October of 2021, still up on the New York Times website. These are things listed in that article as reports of ghostly slash mysterious happenings that people have reported since the onset of the coronavirus pandemic. Yes, that is the theme of this article, Quarantining with a Ghost. People staying at home, experiencing mysterious phenomenon, and then reporting them as I've seen slash experienced a ghost. And the the linchpin here, the linchpin for the next couple minutes, is that this was reported in the New York Times. So the theme is, has there been an uptick in reports about ghosts or ghost sightings during 
the coronavirus pandemic and its periodic quarantines or shutdowns or people working at home and uh, similar lifestyle changes. Now, those who have listened to this podcast from the beginning or listened to older season one episodes will know that one of my pet peeves is the way that journalists, newspapers, TV news treat pseudoscience topics as soft journalism, you know, fluff stories, and so therefore rarely give the um, subject any real scrutiny or research. Now, clearly, this is um, especially the re-release in October of 2021, a Halloween-themed story, and newspapers and TV shows and TV news do Halloween-themed shows, but it just shows how it's a, you know, a pop culture phenomenon, a storytelling phenomenon, and the New York Times article brings on, you know, two researchers. They do have a psychologist who explains what types of comfort people feel. But they focus primarily on an interview they did with the host of a former haunted house type reality show called Ghost Stalkers. Uh, The host describes himself as a paranormal researcher, which might be a pretty apt expression because he's not a normal researcher. So he's got to be something. Bring me the brain of an Abbey normal researcher. I'm going out of my way not to uh, publicize our Abbey normal researcher. Um, His name is in the article. If you want to look it up, I'll have the article posted in the description of this podcast. You can follow up. I will say on Wikipedia, he's described as an actor. So not scientist, physicist, um, psychologist, researcher. And it is noted that his um, show Ghost Stalkers has been off the air for numerous years. So maybe what we have here is a example of an undead career trying to come back to life. For the purposes of the rest of this conversation, I will refer to this researcher as Venkman. He wanted to be a Ghostbuster. I'm making him a Ghostbuster. So this erstwhile Venkman uh, was also interviewed at around the same time, May of 20, by CBC radio show podcast called As It Happens. And in that interview, here's what our fake Venkman said. It says, people are seeing an uptick in ghosts. That's a quote from the CBC interview. People are seeing an uptick in ghosts. Whoa, hold your horses, young man. You're um, getting the uh, ghost before the Ghostbuster. There may be an increase in reports of people experiencing phenomenon, which are then described as ghosts. But that doesn't mean there's been an uptick in ghosts. In fact, what's happening is, as uh, our fake Venkman puts it, is that the year before, 2018, 2019, he would get a couple calls a month from people reporting to him ghostly phenomenon. Now he gets several a week. So what has actually happened, if we take these articles at face value, is that he's gotten more phone calls. So hooray on the social life. The thing that is most frustrating, and why I started with this list of mine, is that one of our fake Vecman's clients reported receiving texts from a dead person. Now, that would certainly be upsetting if you suddenly received a text from someone who, a friend or dearly departed, who was deceased. But, I mean, how do we know it was a text from a dead person? Was the IP address 666? So just because someone has a weird thing happen to them, we end up with this, like, have we come this far from um, the visions of saints to ghosts that in chains that come to you at night and change your life to weird texts? Weird texts, rattling doorknobs, shaking window shades. You find your keys 
Can anything be a ghost now? Are ghosts basically transformers? Oh, look, my microphone, it's actually a transformer. Oh, look, my microphone, it's actually a ghost. Just anything? You know, if, you're, if you were in your high school debate class and you started with ghostly apparitions that were haunting you or frightening you or sitting in your kitchen drinking your coffee, and then you backed off to say, well, rattling doorknob, your debate teacher would call that a logical fallacy known as moving the goalposts. What are we calling a ghost? Can just anything be a ghost? Now, the New York Times article, Molly Fitzpatrick, does bring in a psychologist who gives a little bit of explanation, I suppose, so that's better. Bravo, New York Times. But it also includes an observation by our guide to the Abbey Normal, fake Venkman, in which he acknowledges that on all the investigations he's gone on, most of, most of these phenomena have normal, rational explanations when you look a little close, a little more closely. But he does, he does this little rhetorical trick, right, by saying most of them, because he's trying to leave open, you know, the door to, well, maybe 99% of them can be explained by your so-called science, Mr. Science Guy, Mr. Normal Researcher. But here... We Abbey normal researchers know that there's that part you can't explain, Mr. Big Brain Science Guy. Whereas, of course, one of the working assumptions of the natural sciences is that when you have a natural explanation for something, you know, like gravity or friction, that we then operate on the uh, evidence that shows that it happens consistently. Erosion happens through gradualism. So if we have an explanation that explains 99% of rattling doorknobs and towels that are suddenly on the floor, then the proper logical course of action is to go with those explanations, at least until better or compelling evidence is presented. And with that, let me get to what we all really came here for in the first place, and that is my really interesting conversation with Ben Radford. He is author of many books, including Investigating Ghosts and Investigating Other Usual and Paranormal Phenomenon. He has a really great book on kind of killer clown phenomenon. And his latest book is actually called Big If True, which is a collection of his articles that he's written. And a Big If True, like if ghosts were real, if you could prove it, that would be big. It would be big if true. When I was researching this topic of ghost sightings, I saw in March of 2021 that Ben had written an article that is published on the Center for Inquiry's website called The Science and Non-Science of Ghosts. And one other thing about this interview, I want to just um, preview for you, and then we're going to segue over to it. But when I scheduled my conversation with Ben, and then I scheduled my uh, friend Aaron Cosbiel to co-host it with me, and we had a good time, you know, riffing and joking around, I did a Facebook post in which I just said, hey, later today I'm going to be interviewing a ghost researcher. Any questions any of you want me to, to ask him? And I got like 30 or 40 responses. Now, most of my friends on Facebook are also comedians, so most of those responses were just sarcastic pains in the butt. But I just want to say I did take three or four of those questions that were a little more, you know, uh, sincere and roll them into the conversation. So thank you to people, friends, uh, friends and Facebook friends who sent in your comments. All right, so with that in mind, and without any further ado, here is my interview with Ben Radford. 
Hello, everybody. Now is the time that I'm going to introduce my special guest co-host for today's episode, a very funny comedian I've worked with him many times out of Toledo, Ohio. We know him as the professor of comedy, Aaron Cosbiel. Aaron, Hello. how are you? I'm hey, doing good, Jerry. thanks for doing this with me. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Great for me because that two years of this pandemic, there's a lot of people I haven't seen in a while. It's actually the first time I've seen Aaron since more than two years ago. Yeah, time. It's crazy. So people should just start podcasts as a way to reconnect with their friends, basically. <laughs> uh, copyright, trademark, Jerry C. Job for the Comical Heathen. I expect a cut of any future podcasts that are based on that. Aaron, so nothing. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, have you, um, have you been able to do any uh, gigs lately? Uh, yeah, I just came back from doing a run of shows in Chicago. Great. Yeah, go. Uh, everybody had to show their vaccination cards. Uh, so that was good. And yeah, I got to see old comedy friends there. And because I did comedy there for like eight years. Yeah, you're from um, Toledo, but you were in uh, Chicago for a bunch of years, right? Yeah, yeah. At 19, moved uh, to Chicago, studied improv and sketch and did stand up. And Excellent. Well-versed. Well, since you are a professor of comedy... And uh, also, uh, listeners at home, just so you know, Aaron is also a, uh, a member of the group that Dan Brown and Jesse Pimpinella and myself do, the Action Comedy Nerd Show. He sometimes joins in at some of the anime cons and comic book conventions, especially yeah. when we're out in his direction. Yeah, so, we were supposed uh, to do the in- Indiana Comic Con uh, super in 2020. I'm super yes. looking forward to that. <laughs> and it got canceled. <laughs> and... Aaron, I was thinking of you and your professorship, and sometimes when we're on shows together, the MCs will introduce us as the two professors on the show. First professor to professor, I thought you'd be a great co-host to go along with our guest interview today. I noticed, Aaron, over the past couple of months, I guess a couple of articles came out, and that's the obsession of the Comical Heathen podcast, is um, articles on interesting, in air quotes, topics. And I found articles, a couple of articles on this topic, I rise in ghost sightings during the pandemic i know and it really sort of got my uh i don't say attention or goat but on october 28th so of course that automatically makes it a halloween story the new york times ran a story quarantining with a ghost it's scary this is a fucking new york times uh molly fitzpatrick oh published may 14th 2020 but updated october 28th 2021 so uh, look at print media. Yes. <laughs> On the internet, of course. I was double okay. checking all those details. <laughs> You've been living through the quarantine. Have you had an uptick in ghost sightings in your house? I have not. I just what? purchased this house. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, how, so many, far, how many people were murdered in that house before you purchased it? They didn't tell me. So I assume a lot. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you ever heard any mysterious noises at night that freaked you out? No, but I'm a heavy sleeper, so I okay. feel like if ghosts are trying to wake me up, they're not doing a good enough job. Well, I saw these um, headlines, like the New York Times one I mentioned, and it made me think of uh, one of my new best friends who was on The Comical Heathen a couple episodes ago and is an investigator of the paranormal. He's written a book on investigating ghosts. He has written articles, including for the Center for Skeptical Inquiry. Let's bring him on, and he'll sort us goofballs out. So please welcome to the show today's guest, Ben Radford. Hello, hello there. Ben, how are you? Doing good. Uh, I'm uh, broadcasting from my uh, ghost-free house here outside, <laughs> of, uh, outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico, known, of course, for uh, Breaking Bad and Bugs Bunny and uh, 
<laughs> Better Call Saul. Did you ever see Bugs Bunny while you while they were filming there? I didn't see Bugs Bunny here. Now, to be clear, you know, we do have roadrunners. Uh, they, they are a real <laughs> thing. I sometimes get questions about that because like, oh, you know, you live in New Mexico. First, first is Roswell. I'm like, really? All right. So then I got to go in the Roswell thing. And they're like, okay, so tell me about the coyotes and roadrunners. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, there are real things. They don't, they don't say beep. They, they do run across the road, which you would think would be evolutionarily unadaptive if if you're named i don't know who named it god i guess but yeah. if, if whoever <laughs> named roadrunners like you know what do these do they run across the road well a lot of lemmings right <laughs> what were they called before there were roads I, the, the, the <laughs> path runners <laughs> right right the, they, they are adorable usually they're seen with lizards in their mouths and i have to be honest i have literally never seen a coyote chase roadrunner. I don't know that it hasn't happened, but it, not in my presence anyway. What about the paintings of from coyotes? Have you seen the the epic? Those are a different matter. So you know, when you know, New Mexico is a pretty sparsely populated state, and so you you can drive for hours between between uh, cities. And it's certainly true that you know if you go on some highways, if you head out towards uh, towards Grants and Gallup, uh, towards the west on I forty. Um, you know, you'll start seeing sort of very surreal images, very much like the, the old uh, Warner Brothers cartoons. And now and then you might actually see, I don't know if it's Elmer Fudd, but it's Elmer Fudd-like <laughs> um, figures. And usually it's like a hunter, they'll like creep off a ledge. And until they realize that they're they're in midair, <laughs> they just stand there. It's the craziest. <laughs> well, those long drives, you definitely start to see things. The absolute I love cartoon yeah. physics. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess let's just... um springboard off the springboard. Ben, did you notice any of these headlines of the past year or so that claim that there's been an uptick in ghost sightings during the Yes, quarantine? yes. Uh, you know, one of the curious things about what I do, which is, as you mentioned, investigating ghosts and mm -hmm. weird things, whatever else from a scientific point of view, is that I tend to be on people's radars when weird news stories come up. Urban legends, chupacabras, ghosts mm. uh you know tiktok videos uh <laughs> rumors god knows what and of course ghosts are, are no exception uh and so yes i i did i did get a, a news alert i am a subscriber to the new york times nerd <laughs> nerd there we go there, there we go and as, and sure enough <laughs> yeah and, and sure enough i used to be a subscriber to the paper version and i i i would spend mm. 40 minutes a morning reading the paper and i i loved it over with my coffee but i just mm. got too busy with it anyway yep I was asked about the uh, uptick in, in ghost sightings, uh, particularly during the pandemic. And of course, on, on one level, it seems mysterious because like, well, right. what is the connection between ghosts and, and COVID-19? They're both invisible, at least sure. to the naked eye. Mm -hmm. They're both potentially uh, dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them actually is dangerous, and I hope everyone's <laughs> vaccinated. Uh, the other is not dangerous, but is, <laughs> is sometimes said to be. Anyway, well, uh, we need so to find a vaccine for it. Well, there yeah. you go. There you go. Circle, uh, circle, th dot, dot. Think of this um, <laughs> podcast as a booster to your there critical you thinking skills. I was uh, contacted about that and people were asking, okay, well, what, what is the connection between COVID-19 mm -hmm. and an increase in, in ghost reports? It was actually, it, it was an interesting topic to look into because it involves psychology. It involves mm -hmm. uh, having some background in, in investigation and understanding why people see ghosts and what they interpret as ghosts. Did you experience your own uptick in people contacting you because of ghost sightings like directly like i've seen a ghost can you come investigate it for me i did i haven't seen an uptick in that 
during the past two years per se. Because of what I do, I do get contacted by people mm -hmm. every week or two asking me to investigate something. Uh, last week, it was uh, <laughs> it was a guy that that took a photograph of his kids and dog in the back seat. And it was just sort of ordinary photograph. But then if you look down by the dog's nose, there seemed to be a glowing orb or thing, as one does. And so uh, he's like, yo, this is the craziest thing. You know, can mm -hmm. you help me out? I don't, you know, I just happen to be taking a photograph of my dog and my kid in the back. Yeah, and, and there's this thing. And it's like, you know, is it some mysterious energy? Is mm -hmm. it a fairy? Is it a ghost? This and that. So as it happened, I had actually investigated a nearly identical photograph about five years ago. I didn't ignore him. I didn't, you know, I didn't put him in the spam folder because he seemed to be sincere. I mean, he's reaching out to me. I mean, you know, he, so he sent me the photo of sort of unrequested, unsolicited. Uh, and uh, so I, I wrote, I said, I'm super busy. Uh, I, you know, I, I honestly don't have time to mm -hmm. just go and investigate random stuff for random people. I just, I don't have the time, energy or money to that. But I said, in this particular case, I mean, I glanced at it. And I, I looked at it and here's what I think it is. And, and I actually sent him a, a write-up published in Skeptical Inquirer magazine. I do a column every issue and have for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a new book out, by the way, uh, called Big If True, Adventures in Oddity, which is a collection of these. Plug, plug. Uh, anyway, I sent that to him and I said, thanks for sending me your mysterious and air quotes photo. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is what this is. Here's a nearly identical photo uh, analysis I did a while back. Normally, the response either get crickets and you know jerry as a comic you're familiar with with, with that that phenomenon i've heard i've heard this non-noise more than once <laughs> yes or either i get crickets or i get uh you don't know what you're talking about you're not mm -hmm. an expert and of course my answer is why did you send me your photo then <laughs> right uh, in this case to his credit uh he wrote back a couple hours later and said, you know, thanks for writing back. I looked at it. This is actually a pretty good explanation and I will try and replicate it, which mm. is what I suggested he do. So anyway, okay. that's a little tangent, but that's, that's right. an example. So. Example of the kind of random inquiries you get. Yes. And, and not so much, I mean, getting back to your original question, not so much in ghosts, partly because with the pandemic, right? I mean, people right. know I'm not going to I'm not going to sure. fly to San Diego to find out what that bump is in your house. Well, the New York Times article the expert that they cited was um, John Tenney, host of the short-lived ghost hunting show, Ghost Talkers. And he's quoted in the article as claiming that he had received more inquiries about the possibility of hauntings and ghosts. I suspect maybe they've been there the whole time. And, you know, people were just at work. <laughs> yep. Ghost only came out at noon for lunch and you were right. You know. Like, like, oh, Sorry, well, this is our usual time. Uh, Wait, where, where were you? Why uh, aren't Why aren't you gone? Did you get the memo? So John Tenney isn't an interesting enough person to talk about, but I mentioned him only because it counterbalances what you said in the sense that as someone who is known as, at least portraying himself as a believer, I don't know him personally, so I don't know what's in his heart or mind, he might be more receptive to like just saying yes to these stories. No, there's a couple of functions here, right? One of them is that if you are a, for lack of a better phrase, believer ghost hunter, and most of them are, I mean, right. probably 95, 98% of them right. are, that's why they have their own buddies go out there in graveyards and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, you're putting yourself out there as, as the so-called experts. Part of the reason they exist is to bring in 
weird stories. So they're they're casting a wide net. So they're happy. You know, if anybody has anything weird, contact us. I'm like, I mean, if, if you have good quality evidence, I'm happy to look at it. Right. But I don't make my living trying to manufacture grist for the ghost mill. Right. So, <laughs> so the people that contact me uh, tend to be, again, they have to have, they, they typically have some idea of who I am and my mm -hmm. expertise and my background mm -hmm. and, and, and my approach to it. And so on that basis alone, I'm less likely to get the sort of low hanging fruit, mm -hmm. you know, oh yeah, my, my, my nanny cam saw mm -hmm. this weird, you know, thing. What is it? And it's an insect and no, it's not. You get the sort of people who uh, like something weird happened. And they don't want to believe that it happened. So like, I'm going to call a skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get that on occasion. And and I can usually sort of suss that out pretty quickly because they're, well, you know, okay, Mr. Skeptic, hold it. Okay, Mr. Skeptic. And you push my glasses up my nose. Well, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you really, you know, if you want to really look at the, the best quality evidence, blah, blah, blah. And so, again, I, it's a case of where, you know, I have to be selective in the cases I investigate just because I'm only one person. I have a full-time job. I got a podcast. I got other stuff going on. I don't of have course. time or interest. You alluded to something which I wanted to pick up on. You wrote a, an article for Skeptical Inquirer, right, on the science and non-science of ghosts? Probably. Did, yeah, did something, that something right? I would do. March 5th, 2021, Benjamin Redford. Oh, okay. Well, if you I'm looking well, right if, it's, it. if, if you saw it on the internet, it's clearly true. So we'll, That's what we'll, I we'll operate on that premise. Abraham Lincoln gave it a like, so it must be true. <laughs> I posted this morning that's going to be interviewing a ghost investigator. And of course, most of my friends are goofy comedians like uh, Aaron. So I got a bunch of stupid comments. <laughs> but I did get a couple of like genuine questions. And this one is from my uh, guy I know called Eric. And he asked, why are there different kinds of ghosts? Orbs, mist, fogs, funnels, half apparitions, full apparitions, invisibles, ones that just look like living humans, and so on. And you mentioned that same quality of ghosts in this article that you wrote. So right. it, Eric's question resonated with me. So why is it we use the word ghost, but it covers so many variable, you know, paranormal phenomenon? No, that, that's an excellent question. Um, and there's a couple of answers. One of them is that... If you talk to people who are ghost experiencers, that is everyday mm -hmm. ordinary people, your mom, your cousin, maybe mm -hmm. you, your, your ex-girlfriend, whoever else, um, what they describe as being ghosts is very, very different than what's portrayed, as you might imagine, mm -hmm. in TV and film and things like that. So you look at The Exorcist, you the Conjuring films, it's all this really overhyped, sensationalized, you know, terrifying, mm -hmm. demonic screenwriter stuff. Except <laughs> for the post-biopic casper <laughs> that's a, that is a documentary and that is a fine documentary sir i my favorite documentary i've ever seen you will not be casting aspersions on casper so here's a scenario that goes along with that the college where i teach i teach intro to critical thinking skills and i will sometimes sketch this out as an in-class conversational exercise so my uh, parents have a four-bedroom house in the suburbs and my sister who lived with them adults all adults said that she heard some kind of whispering at night. After she said that, a couple other household members said they did hear noises at night. And so now they're all talking about ghosts. So the thing I said to my class is, let's make a list of what could make noises at night in your house. And even let's put the word ghost on the list just to be completionist. Sure. But then let's ascribe odds to everything you just listed. 
what are the odds that it's an animal? What are the odds that it's the house settling? What and then or what wind are the odds? or take yes. your pick? And so I just uh, sketched that out now to give that kind of um, follow up. But you were just saying in this example, this is a real life example. People were hearing a noise. One person thought it sounded like whispering. And now it's a ghost. Like I say, I mean, that, that's part of it is that, is that when you talk to ordinary people about, you know, if you say, do you believe in ghosts? Yes or no. And if they say yes, if you ask why, uh, sometimes it's from TV shows, but oftentimes it's because they there's some personal experience or anecdote they're going to tell you. Mm -hmm. And when you ask them, what specifically is it? Give me some concrete reason. When they say that they, they've experienced ghosts, it's very mundane things. It's uh, missing keys. It's putting an object somewhere and then they they don't see it there later on. It's uh, a, a weird feeling going into a room. It's an odd sound or odd light, just very mundane, ordinary yeah. things that by their very nature can have many, many different explanations and, and many possible things. And so that's part of the answer. And that, in fact, that actually goes back to, to your original question, which is why, why we've seen more increase in ghost reports during the pandemic. And, you know, and actually Aaron touched on this uh, a bit earlier, which is that people are home more. And this is part of it, right? Is right. Because, because there's this almost impossibly wide variety of things mm -hmm. that are attributed to ghosts, cold spots, warm spots, odd sounds, mm -hmm. odd smells. I mean, take your pick. Because right. it's so broad, right. then pretty much anything that, that you can experience can be attributed to that. And if you're, if you're normally at work, you're answering phones, you're surfing porn, you're filling out forms. I don't know what you're doing, right? but you're not sitting there you know, looking for ghosts. So there's a strong element of, of psychological priming to it. For the 12 people who listen to this podcast, yes. if any of them don't know what priming is, what would be your simple explanation? Okay, so you, you may remember from college uh, or high school math. So there are certain numbers uh, that cannot be divided by the ones. So there's like one, three, seven, I think five. Those are prime numbers. Those have nothing to do with this. Okay. So psychological <laughs> priming is... Uh, I was wondering where you were going with that. You're welcome. This is an educational <laughs> podcast. Yes. Half of your listeners, six of them now know something that they, they probably already knew. The, the idea behind priming is that, um, and I have a degree in psychology, so I know from wherever I speak, more or less, is that if you tell people what to expect, if you tell people, hey, if you go to this place, this location, there's ghosts there, and you might smell something weird, you might hear something. So if you, if you tell people what to interpret and what and and how to interpret what they may experience they're more likely to do so a common example is for example pareidolia which is images and clouds and things right so you know you can be hanging out with your with your friend you look up at the sky in your case you're probably stoned but if you're assuming you're not stoned um he's like hey doesn't that look like a face doesn't look like a dragon doesn't look like casper and someone's like yeah, you know, now that you mention it, I, I can see the face <laughs> and the eyes and this and that. That's psychological priming. So you're you're guiding somebody to an interpretation of, of otherwise ambiguous mm -hmm. stimuli. Again, this is really important when it comes to, to ghost experiences, particularly, because you have inherently ambiguous experiences, mm -hmm. sounds, lights, that could be anything. And within the context of thinking that maybe there's a ghost in the house or being on a ghost hunt or seeing a bunch mm -hmm. of ghost TV shows, they provide a ready-made framework, even though it's often false and misleading, but they, they mm -hmm. provide a ready-made explanation. Hey, if you're a ghost hunter and you go in this place and you take a bunch of different photographs, you take hundreds of photographs, every now and then you'll see an orb, a little glowing right. thing, that's a ghost. And so right. you're, even though it, it may be any number of things, it could be an insect, it could be a flash reflection, right. but in that context, it's going to be interpreted as a ghost. So, so as a folklorist, which is one of your mantles that you wear with pride, there is um, 
the uh, like cultural conditioning. There's stories about ghosts that we sure. are raised with for generations. And so when a plate falls off a shelf for no apparent reason, all, any of our minds might latch on to sure. the mythos of the ghost as the explanation for the plate falling. It's, in, it's important to point out that the, the interpretation of ghost is, is in many ways culture specific. So for example, if you lived in 1860s London, <laughs> and you ask people at the time, what is a ghost? Or, you know, mm -hmm. how do you interpret a ghost and experience a ghost? Oftentimes, they'll tell you it's clanking chains in the dark. This Dickensian, yeah. you know, thing, right? That's that's how that culture, the people at that time and in that context conceptualized a ghost. Now, that's very different than, for example, the ghost hunting TV crap that you see in the 1990s from oh. Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures, where it's these sort of demonic entities and they're just making sounds. And, oh, what was that? What was that? And so, the, so the, the point here is that because ghosts have different, different qualities and different characteristics, over time, I mean, it shouldn't be that way, right? It's like a, a giraffe described in 1880 should look a lot like a giraffe described <laughs> last week because it's a real thing and we can all look at it. Now, there may be a little variation here or there, but you're not right. going to have wildly disparate and different interpretations of what it was. And now when I hear chains clanking in the dark, it's more of a Fifty Shades of Grey type experience. Right, right. Which, yeah. frankly, is more interesting to me, yes. but whatever. Aaron, what did you think when you... I sent Aaron that New York Times article. What was your impression of it? What stood out to you? I don't really specifically believe in ghosts. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, Jerry and I are both theater people. From my thoughts, there's always been theater ghosts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a common theater it's a common... superstition and custom that every theater is haunted. Yeah. And you always tell the stories and you always mm -hmm. leave box five open for the fan of the opera. You know, it's, uh, I have to say as a theater professor, which is what I mostly teach and I direct plays and et cetera, I'll encounter a lot of, you know, this is a common belief amongst theater people. And it puts me in a kind of awkward position. I can imagine. As a skeptic, I'm like, there's no fucking ghost in this theater. But you cannot say that to your cast because of trust. Right. There probably isn't. But if there were, we can pretend. Right? Look, yeah. you've just got to cover your base. So I, I join uh, in the storytelling aspect and I right. have like my fingers crossed behind my back. No, in you, you raise an interesting point. Uh, and that's actually something that I have to navigate as, a, as an investigator, because, you know, oftentimes I, I'm dealing with people who genuinely believe in ghosts and they believe their house is haunted. They believe there's an evil spirit, whatever else. And if I'm going to help them out. I need to take their worldview into account, right? I, mm -hmm. I can't just sort of like, ghosts are, bu are bullshit. There's nothing here to go away because that's not going to help them. They're not going to trust me to, mm -hmm. to reassure them. And so I have to sort of do this, this sort of dance where on one hand, I try and bring a skeptical, a science-based, psychology-based perspective to it to help them sort of see for themselves why there probably isn't a ghost in the house, nothing malevolent mm -hmm. or scary. At the same time, if I come off as arrogant or dismissive, they're not going to listen to me anyway. anyway. So, <laughs> now, have you ever had like an instance in your entire life, uh, which was just like weird and you couldn't explain it at the time? I'll give you one quick example uh, where um, I, I was in, I was living in Buffalo at the time. And mm -hmm. I wrote about this in one of my books, uh, Scientific Paranormal Investigation. I think it's chapter eight or something. And I was called into a house by a family. Uh, there was a mother, daughter, uh, a mother and, and a husband and a young daughter. And uh, they, they were terrified. They were generally frightened because they believed there was some evil spirit in their house. 
due partly because they had talked to a psychic who had convinced them, <laughs> much to my irritation, as you might imagine, uh, the, the psychic basically confirmed their fears, which was not helpful. Anyway, long story short, they said, they're again, they're generally frightened they wouldn't stay in their own house. This is between Thanksgiving and Halloween. And it's cold in Buffalo. is is actually in a suburb of Lockport. And so I went out there to help the family out. And and there were a variety of claims. There was this, they took a photograph that they seemed to be this sort of demonic face. I later explained that. And there's EVPs and this and that. Mm. But one of the key questions, one of the key sort of really weird things was that the, the father claimed that he had been attacked by the ghost. Now, this is unusual. I, I, I deal with people all the time who say, who say, you know, they see ghosts, they see evil spirits and, and, and monsters and this and that. But meeting somebody face to face who's telling you that they've physically been attacked by an unseen spirit is it's kind of unusual. So this is what he was claiming. And so Again, I'm, I'm condensing the story a lot, but basically mm. he, he said that he knew this happened because at night uh, he would feel the ghost kick him as he was going to sleep. And I didn't know what to make of it. I uh, This was uh, probably 20 years ago at this point. I had investigated the house. I went out to their house to help them out. And I explained virtually all the other phenomena except this one. Mm-hmm. So I was stumped. I was like, I don't. And so I actually went, uh, I went to dinner with um, my, my then girlfriend's uh, family. And, you know, around, I think it was like Thanksgiving. It was just before Thanksgiving. And it was like, hey, you know, we're just chatting, you know, how's work going, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, Ben, what are you up to? I'm like, well, <laughs> since you asked, I'm investigating an evil spirit outside of Buffalo. <laughs> and I, I mentioned the case and I said, yeah, but there's this one thing that's really baffling me that I haven't quite figured out. And that's because th- this guy is saying that, you know, he's, he's being kicked at night and my my friend's uh my friend's friend uh said that sounds like uh, what happened to john and john is her uh, police officer husband i quickly saw there are lots of parallels they're both overweight they both had sleep apnea mm-hmm. and they both had restless leg syndrome and it, it's it's more discussed now because now there's ads on tv for it but at the time it wasn't and mm-hmm. i i'd heard about it but i hadn't really made the connection anyway long story short that was a case where i i genuinely i had no idea how to explain mm-hmm. this this final piece of the puzzle but once i was talking to somebody else you know that sounds like this it's like oh my god it all fits mm-hmm. and and i presented that to the guy in, in the haunted house again he's he was overweight he's an auto worker mm-hmm. uh sleep apnea and uh, RLS is one of the common symptoms of sleep apnea. And so what happened is as, as he was going to sleep, his leg would twitch. Mm-hmm. And he interpreted that again, going back to psychological priming, mm-hmm. right? In the context of thinking his house was haunted and there's some evil spirit in the house, he interpreted his leg twitching as being a ghost mm-hmm. kicking him or, or nudging him. Uh, so that, that's one example. And there's a, another like critical thinking skill. And uh, when investigating paranormal things, I'm sure this must be like, sort of one of the tools you have to use. I think I first heard this phrase from the great Michael Shermer, but at any rate, it is goes something like this. Inexplicable is not unexplainable. So just because in your immediate, like you hear a noise at night and you don't know what's causing it, that might seem inexplicable in the moment. Right. But that doesn't mean it's unexplainable. And this is a common principle in science because scientists don't know everything. Sure. So there can be phenomenon out in space and in physics that they're studying, but just because they don't know the explanation doesn't mean you jump to the conclusion that there is no explanation. Absolutely. And that, that's an important uh, tenet. And it's also, also, you know, the other, the other factor is that the more you know about something, the more you realize you don't know. In, in, in evolution, in, in biology, in, in space exploration, as you discover more about the world, you realize that there are things that new, new developments, new information that opens up new, new questions 
it, it doesn't mean that the totality of knowledge is, is going backwards all the time. All it means <laughs> is that as we get more and more information, the, the finer details, the sort of God of the gaps opens up because I, I didn't even know that, that was a thing. And so what about this? And so it's, I mean, that that's one reason I'm a huge proponent of the scientific process and trying, you know, using the that worldview to understand the world because that's how, that's how we progress as, as humans, as society. We, we, we use science and critical thinking and blind studies, and that's how we know what medicines work and which ones don't. On these ghost hunter shows, you often see them with equipment. On this Facebook post where I asked people if they had any questions, my friend Bob Kinner, he specifically asked about, they often use infrared. I don't know if this is putting and you on the DMPs, spot. Yeah. Like yeah. stuff. Yeah. Don't, the, we don't have the beepy things. We don't have to go through all the beepy things like as a big list. Bob asked specifically about infrared. One gets the feeling that either they're not using their equipment really correctly or they're not interpreting the results of their equipment correctly. Yes, it's both. What do you think of infrared in these yeah. ghost hunter shows or any of their equipment use? No, 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 no. It's it's a fair have question. Have used them for fun, like just to try it out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for like I mean, five minutes, phones used to have an infrared setting. Ooh, and the, and right, they, very cool. You could see people's wieners with it, so they had to take it off. <laughs> I wish that was a joke. But anyway, due, due to Jerry, we're going to have to remove this from our iPhones. There's been too many complaints. So besides the, the misuse of infrared to reveal how uh, people's private parts, how about the use of infrared by ghost hunters? Yeah, so there's a couple things here. First of all, the vast majority of the equipment that ghost hunters use, it's scientific equipment. It's just not being used correctly. EMF detectors actually do detect electromagnetic fields, but there's no known or proven connection or demonstrated mm-hmm. connection between electromagnetic fields and ghosts. There's this right. there's this gap in the assumption that in the, in the links. And the same thing with lots of things, right? So, you know, you have things that detect magnetic anomalies, things, you know, temperature, whatever else. You know, you you're you can use a thermometer or you know or IR camera for any number of things. But again, the the the, the gap the, where where the whole chain fails is in the assumptions that these anomalies or or weird mm-hmm. readings necessarily imply a ghost. And in the case of infrared, you know, there's, there's a couple things. First of all, you know, ghosts are seen in the visible spectrum. So getting back to science 101, there's there's things around <laughs> us. We can see things in the visible spectrum. That's how our eyes work. There's mm-hmm. lots of things that that are, yes, oh, that's the, doing the, the crazy eyes thing. <laughs> um, so the things that are in the visible spectrum, uh, we can see, and that's it's because they're reflecting light. Yeah. Now, there are other things that are not in the visible spectrum, which still exist, for example, radio waves, x-rays, and so on, that are outside of the visible spectrum. Now, all these exist. It's just that our, our human eyes are not capable of seeing these other things. The first thing to recognize is that there's no reason why ghosts would only be revealed in infrared. Why? <laughs> because people see ghosts. By yeah. definition, they yeah. appear in the visible spectrum. Sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, sometimes. I mean, they they don't they're not always visible, or maybe they're not always there. All right, right. So, but, but yeah, maybe they, they go visible. off for tea at the other guy's house. Well, right, but but it, when they're not visible, then then how do you know they're there? The other question is, okay, so so again, ghosts appear in the visible invisible spectrum. That's why there's allegedly ghost photographs. Like by definition, that means that the ghost is is is, is reflecting light. And then the question is, okay, well, can can ghosts appear in the, in the invisible spectrum? And that that's certainly plausible. You can look at heat, heat signatures and things like that. The answer, I mean, the short answer, dead, to the why question, would they have a heat signature? <laughs> well, right, well, well right, or the other thing, right? Because people say that cold spots are ghosts. Right. Well, which is it, people? 
Right. Make is it a mist or is it an orb? Is it hot or is it cold? Right. And so, and this maybe it depends how to, they die. It, <laughs> yeah, it, of course. It, it depends on what what the ghost rules you want to put. It's the lore. Hey, Aaron, I don't want to skip over something, so I apologize. You asked Ben about if he had encountered anything inexplicable. I feel like I needed to ask you, have you ever encountered anything inexplicable? What's the most inexplicable phenomenon to hit you in the face like a pie? There's a couple, and I've sort of explained them away in my adulthood. Like when I was in third grade, I was up like at 1 a.m., which, you know, third Mm. grade, that's super late. Uh, And I was just looking out the window. I saw a UFO. And that's probably a helicopter. It was just really fast or a really fast plane. I don't know. I was in third grade. But you uh, raise like a good told- point, too, because inexplicable to a third grader is not necessarily unexplainable when you're an adult Aaron. Right. Like, uh, you see, it- I, I, here's what I want to do. I want to I want to plot this. I want to plot Aaron's experiences. What you're going to find is there's an <laughs> inverse correlation between his Aaron's chronological age, if not mental age, and yeah. the number of things that are unexplained. Which, which, which makes sense, right? It's like the, the less you know about the world, the more likely it is you'll find something unexplained. As you progress into adulthood and you know more things, the, the windows become narrow and narrower about things that you're like, I don't think I know what that is. Right. Right. But I have heard of a ghost vegetable that's real. It's called a ghost pepper. Oh, and I, I assume that it's the psychic imprint of a pepper that died a terrible death. That is my <laughs> what are your thoughts. That <laughs> is, uh, I, I've heard of them. I think one point I had I had chips that were made of dead ghost peppers, which by itself was kind of creepy. Yeah, and I have to tell you, I experienced pain, physical pain, ghost attack, mental you. anguish. Not enough to file a lawsuit, mind you, but there was definitely discomfort in the presence of the ghost. My friend Elizabeth wanted me to ask, in any of your investigations, have you ever been anywhere dangerous or felt like you were in danger? Uh, yeah, that, that's a fair question. Not really, um, you know, which, which in a way is kind of odd because I investigate things that are ostensibly dangerous. Um, lake <laughs> monsters, Bigfoot, ghosts, mm-hmm. evil spirit. These are things that at least allegedly and folklorically are said to harm people. But, you, you know, uh, because I come from a more folkloric point of view and a more investigative point of view, I'm sort of seeing them in a different light where I'm, mm-hmm. I'm genuinely interested in the phenomena and w- whatever's going on. And of course, a lot of times what's going on is rumors and legend right Mm -hmm. and so the same reason why you don't hear reports of bigfoot killing people or lake Mm -hmm. monsters or ghosts killing people is the same reason for example that you don't hear documentation about bloody mary or candy man killing his or her victims outside of the documentary Candyman, if you've seen right. that. Part of the whole process, right? it's, it's lore, it's it's people who are enacting what in folklore, in folklore we call ostension, sort of acting out these things. Mm. What I have found in my experience is that it's not the, it's not the ghost, the monster, whatever else that's dangerous, it's the people that believe in it. And I, I've experienced this, for example, I can think a couple of times on ghost hunts where I or ghost investigations where I've sort of been the token skeptic. And there's most of the people there, they believe in ghosts, they believe mm-hmm. in, in possession and demonic things like that. And when you're around people who sincerely and genuinely think that there's evil spirits behind every tree, just waiting mm-hmm. for an opportunity to seize you uh, and, and, you know, come into your body and stuff. It's, it's creepy. Whether or not I believe in ghosts is sort of irrelevant. I, there's no evidence that ghosts have, have killed people, harmed people. And certainly, you know, I'm not, I'm not concerned about that. So the short answer is that, you know, it's really the people that believe in these things that I found are, are the most dangerous. Why do some ghosts wear clothes? 
<laughs> have their clothes dyed with them? You know, the short answer is that because ghosts are largely, as I mentioned before, with the with the analogy mm-hmm. of the, the clanking chain ghost in, mm-hmm. in the Victorian era, ghosts are largely culture bound, culture specific. The ghosts that, that would have been interpreted in, you know, in mm-hmm. the... In the 1900s, Japan are, are very different than ones in, in Berlin or or, or, mm-hmm. uh, or LA. But the, the the real answer is that that there's actually many different. Uh, there are lots of non-living creatures, non-living things that are appears. For example, there's there's ghost ships, uh, there's ghost cars, there's ghost mm-hmm. wagons. Mm-hmm. So there's ghosts and there's poltergeist. There's, poltergeist. there's uh, uh, banshees if you're <laughs> Irish. One of uh, my friends on Facebook, John. John has been a guest co-host on the Comical Heathen in the past. He just brings up a a common ghost-related issue, which is just energy. Like you were talking about heat earlier, entropy and the laws of physics suggest that there must be energy involved. So on the one hand, we could say, like, what happens when you die? And that's a very serious philosophical question. Sure. But it also includes entropy, like your body has energy in it. Where does that energy go? Is, is this a kind of question you have to deal with sometimes? It is. And in fact, in my most recent book, Big If True Adventures and Oddity, available now for 20 bucks or so. Which I have read, highly recommend, a <laughs> joy you. to read, but also full of little essays you can share with your friends. And I'll put yes. a link to that book in the description of this podcast. Yes. Thank you for that setup. Yes. That's actually one of the sections in that book. The, the, the short answer is that if you're a ghost believer, you have to confront the fact there's just not good evidence a, across the board, right? So mm-hmm. We have, you know, anecdotes, we have experiences, we have fuzzy photos, this and that. And one of the ways they try to sort of make up for that is to say that Einstein endorsed ghosts implicitly, right? Because you have the, con- <laughs> the, the, the conservation of energy and this idea that energy can't be destroyed, just changes form. Mm-hmm. And then the question becomes, okay, well, if this is true... Where does the energy from our bodies go? And and usually the ghost hunters go right to, well, they become ghosts. Feels so, like about 22 steps have been skipped before reaching that conclusion. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for noticing that. But the 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 the, the rejoinder, the, the actual phys- physics-based answer is, of course, that the energy in our bodies is released through heat uh, and through <laughs> nutrients, right? And so right. when a person dies, it depends on what you mean by energy. <laughs> Ener- energy means different things to different people. Convenient so, to the development of these stories. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, I mean, when you buy gasoline, you're, you're literally buying energy. You're buying yes. fuel that, that contains energy that you, you can break Which down. Which came from the deceased bodies of dinosaurs and other sort of fauna. So Which we- may... Maybe Which ghosts. is why we don't see ghost dinosaurs. They've all been turned into petrol Our cars fuels. are being run by ghost dinosaurs. <laughs> and contributing to climate change, unfortunately. Let me ask you one other question, um, Ben. Your article, as well as the New York Times article, I believe, both cited an Ipsos poll from 2019 claiming that 45% of Americans think, I think it's phrased, either ghosts are real, either definitely or maybe real. So, I mean, you included that in your own essay. So what are we to make of this inflated or deflated, I don't know, <laughs> statistic? Uh, yeah, well, there's a couple things. One is is that you, know, you have to keep in mind that ghosts are the most, uh, either the or one of the most widely spread paranormal beliefs in the world, right? So mm. every culture in the world has uh, has some 
belief in in the afterlife and spirits and in communicating with the dead and reincarnation things like that uh, mm-hmm. a lot and of course a lot of this is tied up with with religion of course which is mm-hmm. uh which is separate from but but in many ways separate from but also in a venn diagram kind of way overlaps with the question of what happens after one passes. exactly it is it is a very very widespread belief unlike for example crop circles or 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 bigfoot things like that so and so it's not surprising that so many people would endorse a belief in ghosts and the other the other part of the answer goes back to what i talked about before is the is the the myriad and mundane nature of ghosts right because Mm -hmm. uh so it's interesting again when you ask people what do you think ghosts are even the experts can't agree. You'll get five or six different definitions. Mm-hmm. I can give them to you right now. So w- when someone says, do you believe in ghosts? They'll think back to, well, you know, I kind of believe in them. I mean, I'm, that doesn't mean they they believe there's one behind yeah. them at the moment. It just means that they they sometimes feel their grandmother's presence or whatever else. And mm-hmm. so because it's it's because it covers such a, a mm-hmm. variety of mundane phenomena that isn't typical dramatic, sensational, ghostly <laughs> material, uh, it's not surprising that many people would endorse it. Excellent. Just on the topic of ghosts or the increase in ghost sightings during the pandemic, any final thoughts or main points you want to take out of this? Aaron, I'll let you go first so our guests can take a moment to gather his thoughts. I'm strongly in the maybe pie. <laughs> uh like the people who have ghost stories mm-hmm. they haven't totally convinced me the skeptics that hasn't totally convinced me doing research for this podcast i mean like he said ghosts are literally everywhere going back to ancient egypt throughout all recorded that's history. like that's like who am i to argue with all of humanity's cultures uh, <laughs> but also i don't know that it matters they're pretty mundane do we really even have like the the technology to even track ghosts don't know <laughs> so aaron Cosmo, uh, agnostic on ghosts uh, string theorists uh believe in 12 dimensions mathematically and who's to say that there aren't things on those dimensions i don't know <laughs> <laughs> One thing you said, Aaron, I do want to mention from the statistic. Yeah, 45% of Americans say that ghosts definitely or probably exist. That's how it's phrased. That probably really bugged the crap out of me. Because that gave like a pretty wide room for what Aaron That's trying to just big, say. Right. Like I'm just yeah. a maybe. Yeah. I'm not even a problem. Oh, so you're you're in the next category I'm, down. I'm, I'm like, uh, like I'm not in the no. I'm not, uh, I'm <laughs> with, not with in a little the more yes. with a little I'm, more badgering, I bet you could be in the probably. Yes, if you were in a different group I, of people right now. <laughs> um, I'd still be strong, maybe. Aaron's uh, a big maybe guy. That's why he wears that bow tie everywhere. Yeah, look, I am open <laughs> to everybody's crazy ideas. <laughs> like, I want to hear them. It's I love definitely stories. Good, it's definitely good for comedy. What, um, Ben, would be your final thoughts on ghost sightings during the pandemic? Yeah, I would just basically remind people that, uh, that again, as I said before, uh, it's not surprising if you look at the dynamics of where people experience ghosts, which is in their own house, usually at night and whatever else, not at their workplace, you know, mm-hmm. in some strip mall, you know, downtown. It's not surprising at all. In fact, it, it, it's entirely logical and predictable that mm-hmm. when people spend more time at home 
And especially when people are, are sort of asked and prompted mm. about ghostly experiences that they might experience more. And then I, the only other thing I, I would just add is that, you know, the, the question about, about whether we have enough technology to detect ghosts is, is a common one. And, you know, Aaron brought up a, a, a bit ago, mm. and I've heard that before. Keep in mind that, that, uh, that ghosts have been allegedly recorded, right? That's, that's where EVPs are allegedly the voice of ghosts. Uh, ghost photographs, ghost videos, ghosts on surveillance cameras, things like that. So by definition, uh, ghosts are allegedly able to be captured on film and, and in, in our real world and not some parallel universe. Um, and that's why in, in my book, Investigating Ghosts, I, lo I look at other potential scientific ways of, of investigating these things, including, for example, um, ghost, um, ghost smells. A lot of times people report that ghosts have a certain scent, a, a lavender or honey, mm -hmm. or whatever else associated with the ghost. Where I'm going with this is that smells are physical. They're actual right. particles in your olfactory senses. This is not an imaginary. So right. because of that, you can capture scent. You can you can literally mm. capture particles of, of scent. <laughs> and because that's true, again, I'm making the connections here, because that's true, if these ghosts do in fact emanate or manufacture or mm. are, are characteristic of scents, then you you can, you literally can today with current technology, capture these particles. And if those are in fact ghosts, um, then we should be able to do that. Another aspect that makes sense. to that, Aaron, I want to add, and uh, you don't have to endorse this, Ben, but I'll, I'll just put it out there. As scientifically-minded, evidence-minded persons, if some heretofore non-existent new technology is invented tomorrow that can present us with verifiable evidence of ghosts, that would be very interesting to investigate. Absolutely. But today, that technology does not exist Although you gave many examples of people who claim that they have captured ghosts through current technology. Sure. So that's what we have to investigate is what currently is presented to us as evidence to which nothing compelling has yet been produced. Well put, Professor. Uh, the you. other professor. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're going to finish up here. We're going to do some thank yous. I want to uh, thank Aaron and Ben for being on the podcast. You guys have anything to plug? Any gigs? Any books? Aaron, what do you got to plug? Uh, professorofcomedy.com is my website if you okay. want to uh, add me on facebook and instagram i accept all friendships okay i love I'll, people i'll put all that stuff <laughs> that you just said in the written description of this podcast so people can just scroll down and click thank you aaron how about you ben what do you got to plug or what's coming up unlike uh aaron i am not hip to the instagram uh it's for <laughs> the young it's for the younger generation so i i'm i'm way too old for instagram but i i respect anybody who who delves into that <laughs> that world uh and what's I'm a TikTok. Okay. Oh yeah, what is a TikTok? What is this thing, right? Well, I'm going to do some investigation on that at some yeah. point this year. Uh. But no, so I probably uh, probably the best place to check me out would be on my podcast called Squaring the Strange. Mm. Uh, Great podcast. Are... I've listened to some episodes since meeting Thank you. you. Thank you. Squaring the Strange. We're now in our fifth year. I think we just did episode 168 or something. Mm -hmm. We did a series on moral panics. Uh, mm. moral panics in, in film and video games and things like that. So we recently wrapped that up. You can find me on Facebook and elsewhere. And uh, this is a little bit of breaking news, although it's not that interesting. <laughs> but I will, I will starting in about a month or so, I will be an adjunct professor, speaking of professors, at the mm. University of Buffalo. I'm, I'll be teaching a course on science writing. So uh, that'll be fun. That's great. Three professors Congratulations. on one podcast. One Suck of it. us. One Internet. Of us. Yes. Excellent. And... Um, I, uh, besides this podcast and the work I do in theater, 
you know, I have been laying low with comedy because of the coronavirus, so I don't have any gigs. I've actually, in the past month, had two Comical Heathen live shows canceled. <laughs> so supposed to be on one of them. Yes, they're supposed to be on. <laughs> one was going to be in Toledo. The Toledo one will happen when it's safe. The venue wants to do it. They're just being very cautious, which I respect. But I'm also being cautious. I'm vaccinated and boosted, but I don't need to go out in large crowds for no damn good reason. So I've Smart been doing comedy. Gigs. Yeah. Is it going to be that large of a crowd? Right. Well, <laughs> he really. All right. Well, gentlemen, let me say thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Ben. I... All right, my fellow heathens, thank you so much. What a great interview. Thank you, Ben, for all your conversation and your insights and your experience. And also, Aaron, for keeping the conversation light and bringing in another perspective. Really enjoyed that. Hope you did, too. Uh, make sure you know that you share this conversation with your friends, post it on social media, follow us, all of those normal things. You can always email us at comicalheathen at gmail.com. If you have questions, topics, you know, we'd love to hear from you. And one other thing I want to say, just in our witty banter, patting myself on the back, kind of weird topic came up, and that was cameras, infrared cameras that could see you naked. When I, I said that off the cuff, so I wasn't uh, fact-checking myself. But I did go back and fact check myself while I was editing the interview just to make sure what the hell I was talking about. And if you look down in the description of this podcast, you will see a link for a, a Fosbytes history lesson headline when Sony accidentally launched camcorders that could, quote unquote, see through people's clothes. Yes, this was a real thing. I was not just uh, BSing or hallucinating or misremembering. 1998 Japanese electronics giants Sony released 700,000 camcorders that had the technical ability to see through people's clothes. As soon as Sony realized this like hidden accidental feature, they recalled them all. What it was called in the technology of the day was night vision, but it was a form of infrared rays. And dark clothes like swimsuits went transparent in front of those camcorders. And the 90s... You know, we already had an internet and nude pictures, especially of women, started appearing all around the internet. So this was a real fucking thing. I'm not imagining it, hallucinating it, or making it up. And if you're amused by it, I'll share a link. I'll share that link with you. Go check it out. It's, I mean, it was certainly not funny for any of the women or people who were victimized about it in the 90s. And Sony, I guess, did the right thing by recalling them all, which was very, you know, financial hit for that big financial hit for them to take but 20 years later pretty fucking funny all right so all that remains is for me to say my thank yous i'd like to thank ben for being my guest interview and sharing his expertise we did an episode with him in july where we talked about the so-called uptick in ufo sightings so if you enjoyed ben and missed that episode go ahead and look for it it's just two or three or four episodes previous to this one and then also thank you aaron cosbiel I'll have all of their social media links in the description of this podcast. Of course, I always take a tip of the hat and thank my uh, musical specialists. The music you hear is Mark Bell playing Bach on the famous Skinner organ, housed at Lake Erie College in Painesville, Ohio. Mark made a CD of Bach music. It's just fantastic. And I uh, asked him if I could use it for my theme music. And then for season two, it's been remixed by my friend Jeff Geddert. Jeff also provides technical advice, some en sound engineering advice, and some additional writing. So thank you very much, uh, Mark and Jeff, for all you do to help this podcast. And finally, if you, listening to this podcast, made it all the way to the end, then thank you. I really appreciate you. 
you know, please share with all your friends and give me all your feedback. And so it just remains for me to say, to remind everyone, hey, I'm not here to ruin anybody's good time. It may be your dogma, but it's my karma. And I'm all about spreading the love.